Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. Avery, I have to play you the new intro that I just made for Gen C. So here it goes. Edge of my seat. Bom dia e bem-vindo ao General C. Avery. É tão bom te ver. Fico feliz em te ver aqui. Aqui estamos. Mais um episódio. Mais uma semana. All right. So you might have noticed that was me not speaking English, but I am going to Portugal next week. So that was me speaking Portuguese. And how did I do that? Well, both you and I have been experimenting with HeyGen's video translation software that utilizes AI to speak in multiple languages. You had a, an amazing piece that you put up on LinkedIn the other day of you speaking Hindi. I don't know if you actually speak Hindi or not. Very limited. <laughs> Very limited. But I just want to throw this stat out before I want to get your thoughts, which is our old friend, Mr. Beast, 50% of the people who watch his videos don't speak English. And so what he does is hire voice actors all over the world to be the Mr. Beast in their local areas because he knows that for him to go as global and get as many views as he needs, he has to be in language. And so what do you think about HeyGen and some of these new tools that are coming that will allow for video translation that is not only audio only, but as you and I have both been playing with, it also literally changes your mouth movements to be speaking the language that you've selected. Sam, thank you for turning me on to HeyGen. My first thought was that I was going to use it to connect my grandparents-in-law because we do have a language barrier. And while I was sad to see that Telugu was not a supported language, I was like, it's okay, I'll do it in Hindi. And I sent it and they actually thought it was real because, you know, not everybody is familiar with the powers of AI, especially with this sort of intonation, which is amazing. And then I started playing around with it a little bit more. And I want to call out HeyGen, but also Eleven Labs, which is the voice translation that is powering all of this. HeyGen is sort of bringing that video, but Eleven Labs does the audio. And we've been working on a couple of little things with Eleven Labs in different capacities. I'm really impressed with what they're building. And it's critical because only 14% of the world speaks English, yet 59% of the world's digital content is in English. So if you're a person who doesn't speak English, much less, God forbid, is not literate, then you can't access the amazing, wonderful world of the internet that we all know today. It's a massive thing. I think it's early days. And of course, everybody rightfully so has questions on where is this data going? Who owns it? Who's storing it? HeyGen is an LA-based company and Eleven Labs has raised from a number of investors, including Andreessen. So we've done some diligence on them, but I think it's early days. But this technology is insanely powerful for brands, but in the immediate term for content creators. If I was a content creator, I would be using this immediately for my target languages because it'll expand your reach so much, enable you to connect. And by the way, it's not going to be long before that's happening on demand in real time, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did the same thing you did. I 
recorded a video that I translated into French and I sent it to my friend in Paris and I said, I've been working on my accent. What do you think? And he gets back to me and he goes, oh, like you're really nailing the language. You're really nailing the accent. Like you've come a long way. I don't speak French. Because the intonation is like you, right? Right, exactly. It's cloning your voice. They were like, it sounds like a white person speaking Hindi. Like there's some things that are colloquialisms that a local person would never say, but it sounds like how you would speak Hindi if you were very good at it. Yes, I will also say what was fascinating to me was Angelique Vendette, who I also sent the video to, responded and say, okay, here's the problem. It's speaking French Canadian. It's not speaking Paris French. (laughs) Um, And then I had other friends who, because I had put it up on uh, Instagram, and for the one in Spanish, I had tagged Mexico. And I said, can't wait to get back to CDMX. And someone tagged me and said, no, this is speaking European Spanish. This is not speaking Latin American Spanish. So I do think there's like a lot of nuance that still needs to get worked out in it. But just the fact that I could record a 48 second video that people in Paris and people in Mexico didn't recognize that it was AI at first. Right. I thought was fascinating. I think you hit it exactly, which is, yeah, if I was a content creator, if I was a brand marketer and I was doing shorts, I think this is a perfect way just to get more reach for your content at a 30 to 90 second level, which should be labeled as AI also. I agree. Definitely. Trust and transparency, 100%. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But I do think that anyone who hasn't played with the HGEN's video translator or their, you can now do it just by uploading a photo and snippets of your voice powered by Eleven, as you mentioned. So you can actually create yourself saying anything without even having to record a video at this point. You could all do it by text. So it's pretty fascinating. I'm very excited for where the stuff is going because this is the kind of use case that I think you and I look at this and we're like, this has like yes. very tactical, tangible opportunity. And I think the stat that you just mentioned, only 14% speak English, but 60% of the content is in English, is such a big business opportunity when you really think about that. So, so relevant. Let's pivot from there to a very related topic, which is, I don't know if you saw this week, but TikTok has started using AI labeling. And Reddit. And Reddit, right, exactly. For TikTok, anytime you use one of the filters that utilizes AI, now it's going to be labeled as AI. They also are doing auto detection for people who are utilizing AI software. And they want anyone who is utilizing AI for their content to have a label on it. I think this is a step in the right direction. I would love all news content also to be labeled like this because there's a lot of stuff out there. I read an obituary that was driven by AI about a basketball player who had passed away. And it said the basketball player is unliving. So that was the way that AI described him being dead was that he was unliving. (laughs) And so clearly there's a lot of stuff that needs to get worked out. But from a brand perspective, from a creator perspective, I think that the idea that we should know when things are being modified feels like the right thing. But do you think that affects the creator economy in any way? I think it's similar to how we do hashtag ad, like trust through transparency is key. We just need to be transparent about using these things. I've thought that for quite a while as it relates to Instagram and TikTok filtering because people get unrealistic like body images. Um, And yeah, some of this happens in like magazines and photo shoots and all of that stuff and has for a long time. But I'm all about trust through transparency and the digital ecosystem. Agreed. And I also think there's a, a healthy respect for knowing when someone might be utilizing a tool. It's a productivity tool. It doesn't mean it has to be less entertaining. It doesn't mean it has to be less interesting. I think for enterprise brands, though, we're still at a place where like we can't just use 11 labs like at scale right now. No, it's not ready yet. It's like a proof of concept. It's this is how it could be going. And back to what we've talked about before, it's building the muscle for when this really hits scale, we're going to be ready. Correct. And in terms of just going back to Mr. Beast, who has these 13 actors that play him around the world, 
he said, our team is very actively looking because it's not cheap to do that. And he said, our team is very actively looking. He thought from his perspective and with their research that it's going to be still a couple of years before we actually see it being good enough where he's comfortable. What he said, which I thought was interesting, is they've done some A-B testing where they use the voice actor and then they'll use AI cloning. And he said, every time he does AI cloning, people are calling out that something sounds wrong and it distracts them from the content in the video, which I think for someone like him is just really important to make sure it's landing. Totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. All right. Final story before we get to an amazing guest is CrossMint and MasterCard are going deeper together. So CrossMint powered this artist portal that MasterCard released a couple of months ago. It actually brought 100,000 people into blockchain. It was primarily based on music, and that was also powered by CrossMint. And it seems that CrossMint and MasterCard are getting in bed together even more with an eye towards small business, which I thought was kind of interesting. Just the idea of easy ways when you think of utilizing your MasterCard to pay for something and then thinking about a reward system that can be on-chain. That feels like it makes a lot of sense, right? I hit my 10th time at the coffee shop. I get an NFT that says I'm a 10-timer, and maybe that gets me a free coffee later. But this feels like a very natural, easy way for blockchain and brands to get together. And I want to know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, well, love Rodri and the team. And of course, Raja and his amazing team at MasterCard and everything that they've done in this space. She recently connected with Raja and he was like, I'm still very bullish on Web3. And One, I love him for saying that because there's so many mixed reactions right now. And it's amazing to hear leaders who continue to invest, continue to launch programs like their startup accelerator and continue to support these sort of Web3 native businesses. Massive fans of what Crossman is doing. And I think that a partnership between a payment processor and a minting tool makes a lot of sense because you're likely going to be paying maybe not thousands of dollars, but a couple bucks for some of these things. And having that super integrated is a great fit. And shout out to MasterCard for continuing to innovate in this space. I see them, I see Visa, I see the banks really continuing to lean in and identify these enterprise use cases that can make their customers, both B2C and also B2B customers, lives a little bit easier. Well, we have asked Raja to be on the podcast 27 times. So we're going to continue to ask until he shows up. So Raja, if you're listening, we're coming for you. Avery, after the break, we are going to come back with Allison Griffin from State Farm, a big brain marketing thinker. So excited to hear her perspectives on marketing, on the metaverse, on Web3, on innovation in general, because she's such a great thinker on that. So we will talk to her after the break. Sounds great. Allison, thank you so much for joining us here today on Gen C. We are so thrilled to have you as a guest. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I would love to have you share a little bit about yourself and your journey, how you landed in this role toward Gen Z community. Yeah, thanks. I had a weird nonlinear path into leading the marketing team here at State Farm. I've actually been at State Farm for about two and a half years, but almost my entire career, nearing three decades, was in the Bay Area, where I was born and raised in the high-tech industry. And most of the time, other than when I was on the agency side early in my career, I was at Hewlett-Packard and Intel. Two small companies no one's ever heard of. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) So global marketing, always high-tech, always started out on the public relations, so narrative side of marketing, and sort of expanded over time from there. But it was kind of interesting. I didn't start in marketing. I was in pharmacy school, actually. And from a very early age, I thought, I'm going to be a pharmacist. And I'm an only child. And so my parents were telling everybody, our lovely child is going to be a pharmacist, whatever that means. And three years into a doctor of pharmacy program, as I'm counting pills, five, 
10, 15, 20, I decided I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life and went into an advertising class. The heavens parted. Angels were singing down on me and I thought I'm with my people. So I kind of had this starting on the science side, pivoting over to the advertising and marketing side, being in high tech in Silicon Valley my entire life and really digging in there to kind of marry that love of narrative with that love of, I'll call it science or science and tech and just being in Silicon Valley. It just sort of all collided there. And then State Farm called and (laughs) I didn't see it coming. So for me, changing out of the Bay Area, moving from California, where I'd been my entire life, leaving an industry where I was cemented and loved, meaning technology, and going over to one country of marketing versus global marketing was definitely not something I saw coming. Allison, to paraphrase a John Mulaney line. (laughs) I love him. (laughs) If I had a nickel... For the number of people who started out in pharmacy who ended up being guests on Gen C, I'd have two nickels, which is not very much, but more than one would expect. (laughs) Very good. I love that. Oh, my God. So somebody else started in pharmacy. Jeff Carvalho from High Snobiety. Yeah, we need to connect to Jeff. (laughs) Both started out in the pharmacy business. So there's something clearly about pharmacy and innovation that just goes hand in hand. Allison, speaking of which, I don't think the general public looks at State Farm or even the insurance industry in general as being one that really focuses on innovation. But clearly, there's a lot in it. And especially when you think of just the realities of like complex financial instruments, there's a lot there. I'm just interested in like, what's the sort of inside look at your process? What does innovation mean to you and to the role that you are in? Yeah. So for me, I lead marketing at State Farm and I'm bringing with me that technology, innovation, mindset and spirit which is, I think, what they were interested in when they were looking for somebody to take over the department and looking outside. State Farm doesn't go outside its doors very often and not at the executive level. So I think that sort of tie to innovation was something that they were interested in and looking for. From the minute I walked in the door here, I started marketing programs that had an innovation slant to them. So I'll give a couple of examples. One was When I was early on, we had a matchup between Patrick Mahomes and our then also ambassador Aaron Rodgers. They were playing each other in a football game, which doesn't happen very often conference-wise. And we wanted to make a big Team State Farm innovative activation around it. So what we did was I brought an activation that I had experience with on the tech side at Intel in particular. And it was an augmented reality, I'll call it game, little football find, little footballs you could see in your phone no matter where you were in the entire country. And we were engaging current and potential customers around the country. And what we gave as one of the prizes was NFTs. And this was when NFTs were six months old. So it was not something that the insurance category would have thought, like, why are you doing an augmented reality game? What are you giving away NFTs? What is going on? And for me, it was all about capturing customers, something interesting, intriguing, and different, using innovation to be at the forefront of marketing, but not only for the earned media sake of it, like, whoa, isn't that interesting? Look what State Farm's doing. But it was for that connection to the customer. And to me, growing up in technology in Silicon Valley, the synopsis that fire when you're doing something and it's fun and 
dopamine is spiking and you're trying to win an NFT, something that was so brand new and weird and different. We had dwell times of over 14 minutes on that game. And that was extraordinary, plus opt-ins to play the game. And so for us, we were doing it using innovation as that way in spiking that love inside the players, giving an experience that was new and different in a category that wasn't activating that way. And that's just like an example. I'm sure we'll talk about what we did on the metaverse coming up, but that was one of them. And so for me, bringing that love of innovation, trying new things, being on the forefront, but marrying it with actual ROI from a marketing perspective, dwell time, engagement, opt-ins. Those were also measures that were really important to us. I think that there's a little bit of a misnomer that we give to these experiments, which I just think we should recognize, which is you said, oh, well, yes, there's a certain media thing. Sometimes like marketing is about attention. There's nothing wrong also with doing things for earned media, because frankly, it's a cheaper way than doing it to buy those impressions. So I do think this idea of like the innovation as stunt gets a bad rap because I think you guys were trying something really interesting and new. You probably got a ton of earned media, which never hurts because it makes State Farm, the brand, be seen as innovative and forward thinking, which is never a bad look for something. I just wonder, like, I know, I know, Avery, you probably counsel people all the time on this, but I do think there's a challenge sometimes that marketers like, oh, I don't want to do a stunt. But sometimes like stunts are exactly the right marketing play. I think no one wants to do a stunt, but everyone wants earned media is something that I've (laughs) heard in my time working with a lot of different brands. And Allison, I think you mentioned that you started your marketing career in PR. So you probably have that sort of muscle built. What is going to get people talking? What is going to generate earned media? What is relevant enough for consumers to care and want to engage with State Farm for 14 minutes, which is an astounding amount of time when you compare that to time spent doom scrolling on TikTok. And you know, how do you use innovation as that like relevance lever to build that experience, I think is so incredible. And I think you all did the same thing on Roblox. You mentioned AR, you mentioned NFTs. State Farm was also one of the first movers on Roblox from a brand perspective. What sort of sparked that? Was that all kind of part of your plan coming from this tech world? Yeah, so we happened to coincide. A couple of things came together. So we have a really great partner in iHeart Media. We've been partnering with them for a long time and doing some innovative things in audio in general. And it was about to be our 100th birthday anniversary as a company. And so I was already here for about a year, already had that augmented reality NFT activation under my belt, showed that there was ROI, earned media, plus, 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 plus. And we were thinking about the 100th anniversary and what could we do from an innovation standpoint. So we were talking to iHeart. They had this metaverse idea. And this was when metaverse was still the only thing anyone was talking about. NFTs had been it and then bam, pivoted over to metaverse. And for us, we also in the real world are known for stadium naming rights and in sports. And so we have experience with our name out there in the real world and experiences around people's passion points. You know, when they go to a game, when they go to a concert, things like that. So iHeart was looking to build iHeartland on two different platforms, on Roblox and in Fortnite. And we wanted to take the State Farm Park naming rights in those experiences. So that was kind of number one. So number one was tying our in real world and what authentically people have seen us and are comfortable with our name and how we show up in the world and applying that to this new location, if you will, the metaverse. Also, 
it was important to me that on our 100th anniversary, the only insurer, and to this day, by the way, who made the announcement that we are not just going to be in the metaverse, we are in the metaverse. And when I say we, I mean, not only our naming rights, but Jake from State Farm. So we had had experience with him in NBA 2K. He was the first non-playable character on that game for quite a while. And our partnership with the NBA was a really great start of that. And we were measuring and learning things like in NBA 2K, now I'm speaking, an avatar like Jake, thinking forward to the metaverse there. So will anyone come up to and interact with an insurance character, right? Like, "Mm, maybe they won't. Yes. If they do, how long? Dwell time. If they engage for a period of time, can he, that Jake, get them into the neighborhood goods store, which was right there in the amphitheater area or front area of the game? If they go in the store, will they look at khakis in red? Will they buy the articles of clothing and will they wear them around the game? So it's like each one of those is, yes, yes, how long, how often, where, what happens? And so we'd already had kind of a metaverse-like experience for a long time with that character. So it wasn't a leap for us. Again, it would be authentic to us. We are already playing in that space. So let's not just say we're going to be in the metaverse. Let's have naming rights like the real world. Let's put Jake in this experience like we had already in NBA 2K. And we knew the kind of things that got people to interact with that character. And we would just test and learn more and grow and amplify that experience on Roblox. So for us, the metaverse was like a natural next step. Innovation was really important to me. Our 100th anniversary and saying we were there was really important to me. Speaking of earned media, right? Another thing, stunt or otherwise. And even more so, the ROI measures that we could get with a younger customer in a situation that we didn't have a lot of experience in, but we had more than others did. Allison, to me, this also really reinforces a thesis that we've been speaking about at least for the last couple of weeks and has been playing on repeat in my head, which is this idea that we should be looking at immersive spaces as experiential. I cut my teeth in the experiential industry for many, many years. I know the power of building experiences, but When you talk to Angelique over at Allo and she's like, we're approaching 100 million people coming through the Allo experience in Roblox, there's no way any experience would ever do would get that amount of engagement. And they're spending more minutes per person than you get on a TV spot. So I also think that there's something that's, I think, a really great lesson in what you're saying, because you had already had these physical experiences in naming rights on parks and deals with the NBA. And now it's like, how can we personify those in other digital spaces But it sounds like, which I really love, is the idea of like, how do we kind of closely replicate, but also enhance what our IRL experience is, right? So we're doing the same naming bits and you see the same kind of signs you would see at a stadium as you would in a virtual stadium. But now the fact that I can be a player who's wearing Jake's khakis and his red shirt is like, there's like a nice meme factor about that. There's like a lot of really good stuff there that I think just are great lessons for our audience to think about, which is that these immersive spaces over time especially, you're going to get more people coming through a Roblox, coming through a Fortnite than you're ever going to get going to the Coachella tent. Yes. It's so funny you said that because we've done some concerts with iHeart in these parks, iHeartland, State Farm Park. And exactly what you're saying, I'd just like to amplify here, like Charlie Puth was one of the first concerts and millions of people versus 
State Farm Stadium, we can get, I don't know, you know, however, tens of thousands to a concert, for example. And so iHeart and State Farm talked a lot about democratizing access and the ability for people who couldn't get to a concert in real life, couldn't see, afford, travel, whatever, the date doesn't work for them, that Charlie comes to their town, but to be able to have this really cool immersive experience in a platform or on a platform in Fortnite on Roblox where they already are and love and love to be. That was really important for us too. So understanding the customer and showing up where they are, not forcing them to try to come to us. Because again, we also know we're an insurance brand. I mean, I'm not under any notion of delusion here that people love insurance and think about it all day long. They don't. And so we've got to really be out there in ways that are interesting, intriguing, and we have to keep upping our game. And innovation is a way to do it. Speaking of innovation, Allison, I love that you just sort of called that out. Insurance is not on everyone's mind day to day. Although I just renewed with State Farm, I just switched my homeowner's insurance, bundled it with my car insurance. So SponCon. It is actually on my mind right now. <laughs> Thank Very you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I love the customer service. It was great. And as you think about Web3 and those customer relationships, how is State Farm starting to embrace this? Because you all have done some stuff in the metaverse. You've done some stuff in AR. You've really put your flag in the sand and being a brand that stands for innovation. How are you thinking about this sort of macro world of Web3? We have a labs team too. So beyond marketing. Sam. We love Sam. Yes, yes. Um, (laughs) That has been working a lot on how we are thinking about Web3 and blockchain in particular for customer data, privacy. As an insurance company, we have to handle a lot of data. And where the innovation team and the marketing team work together so well is that I have to make sure that people feel safe and comfortable interacting with State Farm. That's the brand, if you will. And then Web3 allows this anonymous wallet of data. But as long as a customer opts in, we love that. We're happy for customers to be in control. Privacy is paramount to us. We understand the needs and how critical that is for our customers in this category. And so we've done some tests around payments. We've done tests, even people probably don't know, insurance companies pay each other. So This Public Knowledge USAA and State Farm have been using Web3 for the payments that we make to each other securely, quickly, efficiently. I just want to pause because that is a huge thing. And I don't think a lot of people know this. Right. They hear about the brand marketing earned media activations and not so much about the enterprise use cases that are already happening. And, you know, huge institutions like State Farms have these teams dedicated to figuring this out and thinking about how to leverage this in a sustainable way. So I just want to double tap on that point. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's payment processing available for on-chain data, for automation, less customer action required, privacy, all of that. We've been doing it. And we're a little bit ahead of our time in a couple of places where the industry you know, it's hard. It's like, okay, USAA and State Farm, and do we as an industry want to jump on this? Is it their thing? We want our thing. So there's a lot, you know, and it keeps changing. Technology changes all the time. So our labs team is on the cutting edge doing more than we realize. Like long time ago, State Farm was using drones for surveying damage over where humans can't be. And it's funny, my (laughs) intel one of the business units we have was commercial drones when I was at Intel. 
and trying to show use cases of where drones could go fly over in the middle of the ocean for oil rigs and over places where humans can't be. And State Farm has been using them for a long time. That's not Web3, but my point is all of these different technologies that we're using in concert to be more efficient, to have less strain on resources, to help the customers faster, better, to be in places more quickly than we could otherwise, you know, and catastrophes are right, wrong, good or bad. That's where State Farm shines. And being there for our customers in their greatest time of need. And if we can do that more quickly, that matters a lot. And Allison, insurance is a moment in need sort of product, right? Like not everyone, despite Avery, is thinking about insurance 24-7. That's right. Just like once every two years. Once every two years, right. But so I do think that there is something interesting because I think there are those moments, right? I'm moving, I'm buying a house, I'm selling a house, I'm buying a car. Like there are times when you think about insurance. They're called life events. State Farm has definitely heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there's those times when you think about it. But as we also know, the landscape of digital products, the landscape of immersive products, all of these things are growing so rapidly and changing and falling in favor and out of favor. How do you, because I think what it sounds like is you're really trying to have innovation be part of the core DNA of the brand and the marketing brand, especially. How do you sort of keep it on the cutting edge without expending so many resources to say we have to be in this specific platform today or that specific platform tomorrow? Like, how do you pick and choose? So we have a part of our budget that we have set aside for innovative activations and thinking. You know, another one that we did that I thought was pretty innovative was Gamerhood. So we created an entire gaming neighborhood that was broadcast in a five-week weekly series on Twitch and YouTube and tied in insurance messaging lightly. It was not heavy on that, but a really fun environment. And my point of that is we start with who's our customer, where are they, and what are they doing? They're on Twitch and on YouTube gaming. Who do they follow? these influencers. Let's go talk to them. How can we activate an insurance message? Use Jake in that audience as an example. And then how do we make it fun and that they're going where they already are? I'm not trying to pull you to come to me. And so the innovation comes there and we have a bit of money that is, I'll say, set aside. We know we're going to use it. And we say, look, We have the ability to spend a little more resources, people, money, when we come up with those gems, like the augmented reality NFT game, like metaverse activation, like this gamerhood challenge. While we're still keeping all of what people know and love about us, leaning heavy into sports, those passions, leaning heavy into using audio differently, our jingle is another one that with iHeart is a really nice tie in the metaverse and in audio. And so my point is the expectation is we do what we do and we do it well, and that we exercise this muscle that can be implemented in a way that's new and different. So for me, it's hard. I brought in, in addition to our agency roster that we had when I walked in, I added a couple in the experiential phase and pushing on the earned media side and pushing on kind of communications and topical messages, thought leadership, things that we would do. And because we had more of that outside in from the tech industry, from partners I had in the past, 
that it was just a beautiful mix of different agencies and partners thinking about our brand, keeping consistent the things that we do really well, but having that space to add in some new ideas every once in a while and not overtaking the team, but where they will pop. I love that. And you all have had a lot of pops in the last two and a half years when you've been leading the marketing group. And I always feel like it's helpful for our audience to hear a little bit of the things that don't pop, right? And that's part of that innovation journey. Is there anything that comes to mind when you think about something that you thought would be a great move? They're like, oh, that wasn't the best thing, or this didn't work out in the short term, but in the long term, it did. One of those sort of like failures that led to success. Yeah, you know... (laughs) Because I grew up in tech. So what I also didn't say about how I started is my mom was at Hewlett Packard for 43 years. So in the 70s, I was growing up as a kid and seeing a female in the 70s heading into Silicon Valley and going head to head with these heady tech male dominated industry and seeing her never fail. And at a company like Hewlett Packard, that was so, you know, darling of Silicon Valley. And I say that to say, and tech is go launch, fail, learn, keep going. It wasn't a fail, fail. It was just, okay, what's the next thing we're going to do in tech? And for me, I just have that mindset. And so I don't feel like there was a failure. What I feel like is launching things that were ahead of their time or launching things that competitors like to point back to. So the NFTs, we got people like, oh, what NFTs? (laughs) And then, we didn't do it again, but that doesn't mean that was a failure. It was amazing. We got 14 minutes of dwell time so people could win an NFT, win, right? Or metaverse. It's like, what is an insurance company doing in the metaverse? We're connecting with current and future customers in a meaningful, sticky way where they are. And metaverse isn't being talked about in the same exact way. And we know in this audience knows Web3 is not metaverse. We know that sometimes gets talked about that way, but it's still not a mistake to be there and to show up in places. So that's kind of my approach with the failure question is, hey, now what's the next thing? If I don't do NFTs for 14 minutes of dwell time next time, what will we do? And be open to the possibility that trying a new hot thing is not ever going to be a mistake ever. I love that you sort of went there because the other person who has that same exact theory is my boss, Gary. We've never had a mistake. We're only sometimes ahead of our time. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that attitude. It's so true to tech. It's like, you know, in my time at Google as well, nothing's a fail or a flop. It's like, oh, we were a little ahead of people on this one. Moving on, moving on. I think that attitude fosters a culture of innovation, fosters a culture of risk-taking. Well, and I will tell you, what I have learned in my two and a half years in the insurance industry is It's actually, we're in the risk business and specifically no risk business. So this technology person from the Bay Area who's like, let's do the metaverse. It was a little bit like, oh, I'm not speaking for the legal team here at State Farm, but they were probably like, oh my gosh, who did we just bring in and what is going to happen to us here in the world? And so, you know, the antibodies come out, especially in a risk adverse industry about innovation. So that's why I have to be double, triple sure that the things I'm going to stick my neck out for here are tried and true in a way. Like I knew the augmented reality would work because I'd done it several times at Intel. I knew NFTs would be of interest because they were all the rage. 
So taking enough of the comfort where you're not really putting the business or the company, of course, at risk, real risk, but that is a risky marketing activation. But I will say, and maybe I can say this and you can't, considering our different roles, but I think bold, brilliant marketers take calculated risks. And I think that having a bit of a risk tolerance level is inherent to being successful in the marketing world, whether it's you, whether it's Linda Boff, whether it's Raja MasterCard, there are things that could have blown up in everyone's faces. So I think that whether it's working in the creator economy, whether it's working in new technologies, creative technologies, AR, VR, immersive worlds, the fact that you did NFTs alone, like all of that stuff, there is some risk element because you're kind of also leaving the opportunity in the hands of other people to build the brand. I do want to say, I think that even though you're in an industry that is about avoiding risk and about mitigating risk, I think there is a boldness to creative and thoughtful marketers that are willing to say, I'm going to take some chances here. And, you know, one out of 100 may not work, you know, but that's worth the risk and the reward. Right. As long as we're keeping true to our brand, authentic to what makes sense for where we show up and how we show up to me. That's where, you know, so the level of risk, is it worth it? Is it really risky? Or is it just something we're not familiar with activating? It's that, like, what kind of risk are we even talking about here? And I have always done things that are different. I remember at Intel, speaking of commercial drones, we did two things that were really interesting and different. I was the head of brand globally, and we were trying to show how the brand would be appealing and interesting across consumer and commercial minds and people, so broadly, everyone, but also highlighting the technology. So we use drones to repair the Great Wall of China was one of them. And we use drones to go over whale colonies, Snotbot, it was called, where the DNA from the blowhole was captured on the drone and brought back safely to the ship. So you could test all the whales, not find one spirit, cut its flesh, and only test the one. So my point is finding something that's true to the product you're trying to sell, the company that you represent, the values that you are espousing in the world, but doing it in a way that is like, I always call it the Chris Griffin filter. That's my husband, Chris Griffin, a 30-year retired San Francisco juvenile probation officer. So could not be more different from me in tech and in marketing. And I would always talk to him about like, is it cool if a drone and Intel were repairing the Great Wall of China? It is one of the seven wonders of the world. And it was like, Chris Griffin, you know, the probation officer was like, oh, that's pretty weird. That would get my attention. I wonder what they're doing. And so it was always with that filter. And I think that and bring that into State Farm and say, look, we have the permission because we're the leader in the United States in insurance. We can lead the way and be a thought leader, do things differently, show up differently in the world. We have to give ourselves that permission because of our position in the market. And as long as we stay true to who we are. And we also would not have those lovely drone light shows that power Burning Man all night long if it wasn't for Intel bringing that to the Super Bowl and for the fireworks shows. Yeah, we opened the uh, Olympics. Actually, that was one of the hardest because it was in the winter in, in Korea. And so 
interesting to be able, because we were an Olympic sponsor to do stuff like that. I was so excited about those kind of campaigns. And I think taking chances on things like that was also just, it didn't occur to me that that was risky in that same way. It was, well, that's what I do as a marketer. I love your history of sort of doing these innovative things that are always like tied to relevance and drive business results. Because I think that's exactly how marketers are pushed to think about innovation. How can innovation drive growth? And State Farm hasn't existed for 100 years doing the same media plan. Right. It's changed <laughs> a lot. We have to. And it will change a lot. And it has to change a lot. If you look like into the future, any things that are interesting to you as you start to shape your 24, 25, 26 sort of strategy, what are the things that you think we're going to see really take off that you've maybe done some early pilots with that you could see scaling up much more broadly? So in my past, I always liked product placement, actually. Didn't do it very often, had to be in the right places. And it's been around for a long time, you know, a Coca-Cola can in a movie that an actor's drinking, you know. Soap operas. Yes, wherever. So it was interesting. And to me now, getting our brand in content. So we're working differently with media partners now. And I say this, you know, I meet with our media partners all the time. We're a big advertiser, right? So we're very fortunate for the access that we have to some of the biggest media people across around the world, really. And I'll say to them, now, don't freak out about what I'm going to say. Stick with me and you'll end up understanding. But I'm not that interested in the 30-second spot in between commercial breaks. Now, of course, we're still going to do it. I'm in one of the most competitive categories in the country, and I will and we have to. So I don't mean I'm not going to, but you know where I'm really interested? I'm interested in weaving into the storyline, product placement-esque, but in the storyline of the actual show so that my brand lives on beyond a 30 second spot that when the show gets replayed a year later, my commercial is not the one that's hitting. 20 years later, look at the resurgence we're seeing of Suits and Friends and all these shows. Correct. So let me talk about Roblox for a second because similar. Our jingle, the nine note jingle, you know, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I will spare you and not sing it. That jingle is important. The words like a good neighbor, State Farm is there important. Our logo, the three ovals is important. And so we put that on Roblox in iHeartland in a couple of ways. So Jake is there, number one, but it's an audio experience that iHeart had on the Roblox platform. It's like be a radio pioneer. And so we said, all right, so let's integrate the sound. So when you're playing a couple of the games that you can do inside that environment, so the logo is turned down and it's a stepping stone ladder to get to a better viewing location of State Farm Park, number one, connecting all that. If you do this and interact with our brand, you get a premier viewing experience. Then the logo. And when you jump on the logo, I think it's the five note, not the nine note plays. And so these interesting ways to put your brand and keep that slow drip of our assets in the minds of current and potential customers, I think is really interesting. And so that's like another, you know, thinking about pulling audio and not visual as well. So we can expect Jake to be in the next season of Yellowstone, <laughs> it sounds like, as a character. The hot cowboy, like wearing the khakis and the red shirt. I know. Wouldn't that be fun? We can put Jake almost anywhere. <laughs> Jake on a horse. <laughs> it's on a lot of people's uh, mood boards right now. Yeah. 
Allison, thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful to hear the stories. There's so many lessons in this episode. So really just thank you for being here. And we appreciate all of that. I love the opportunity to talk about the fun stuff. And I appreciate the platform here to get my juices reinvigorated again, too, and the questions that you asked. And, you know, it's always good for marketers to go back to their own personal why. And you've brought out some of my personal why. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Allison. Avery, Allison, Dynamo, what a great conversation. Thank you for arranging that. That was incredible. I know we've been like trying to reschedule with her for so long, but I'm glad we really got it over the finish line. Her and her team are amazing. I want to shout out Baldwin Cunningham, who first kind of brought us into that, who is amazing. Oh, love Baldwin. Baldwin leads their partnerships and is fantastic. And Sam, who runs their State Farm Labs team, is also fantastic. I think when people think about insurance, they think it's all like stodgy and you're like, actually... There's part of that, but there's also like so much innovation that happens at these companies and it's so cross-functional, like it's a massive company and Allison absolutely nailed it with insights. I love that she brought in her history from Intel and from HP, everything from drone shows to AR to metaverse. She really knows her stuff. To me, that's the big takeaway, which is being bold, but also really putting innovation at the core of your marketing strategy is the way you succeed as a marketer today. It's not 30 second spots anymore. It's not banner ads anymore. It's not newsletters. Like those are in the toolkit but it's not the way to really make a difference. And I really love Allison's approach to that. So that was amazing. All right, Avery, until next week, super excited for our next guest, super excited for this guest, super excited that you are who you are. (laughs) Thanks for that, Sam. Um, Right back at you. And thank you, Gen Z community for tuning in. I think this is one of our best episodes ever. So let us know what you think in the comments, hit us up with other suggested guests, and we will see y'all next week. Mm Mm-hmm.